Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to The Bible for Beginners, episode four. And in this episode, uh, I'm kind of excited, looking forward to this one, because uh, we are covering, we'll be talking about probably one of my favorite books um, in the Bible, and that is uh, as the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles, as, uh, as we've talked about, we, we've kind of gone over how we read the Bible in hermeneutics. We've did an introduction to the Gospels and why it is that we start with the Gospels because we understand Scripture through the lens of Christ and so we need to understand who Christ is and who God's fullest revelation to us is. And then as we get through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, we then begin to shift into the early church because in all of the Gospels, Jesus ends um, with his death and his resurrection and then his um, appearance to the disciples in one way or another saying, you know, wait and, and I will I will be with you. I will come back to you. And and, um, and the resurrected Christ does just that in the beginning of the, uh, the the Acts of the Apostles. It's it's a it's a history book. It is the second half of the Luke Acts combination. So the the uh, the author of Luke's Luke was also the author of Acts. We said he began uh that gospel by, um, you know, dedicating it to uh, Theophilus, um, and and Acts is kind of part two of that, and he continues on in the beginning of Acts, which is a, a history of the early church, basically. So you get through Jesus's life, and then you talk about what what happened after Christ died, and 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 he was resurrected, and then the disciples are kind of waiting around trying to figure out what's next, and that's where that's where the Acts of the Apostles shifts in. Now again, the um, the title, the Acts of the Apostles, is is not actually a uh, uh, something that you find in the Bible itself. Uh, that title was added to it later, um, and uh, but I, but I do like the title because it is uh, it, it is a shift from the disciples to the apostles, right? So in the in all four of the Gospels, you've got the the disciples of Jesus who bumble along and slowly learn, and then Christ dies and he is resurrected. And, uh, and the disciples are still gathered together, right? And, and the Acts of the Apostles, uh, again, a, a name that was given to this, this history uh, later. Um, in the Acts of the Apostles, the disciples are there in uh, Jerusalem trying to figure out exactly what to do next. And really what, uh, what Acts is about is the birth of the, of the church, and how we move from Jesus Christ being the embodiment of God's word, God's will, God's example for the world, um, God in the flesh, to then that being um, spread into and, and infecting the disciples, and they then become little Christs. That's what Christians are. That's what that word means. They become the, the further the, the ones who further the, the gospel, the good news, the work of Jesus Christ. So. Um, I also am a history major, and so Acts is a, is a history book, and so I love the maps, I love the ideas, so forgive me if I get a little bit um, history and, and Bible nerdy here, but we're going to spend this whole episode on Acts of the Apostles, and, and really the, um, the, from the very beginning, I love this, this book, um, this account, because it, uh, it starts with the disciples gathered together, and, uh, and they're trying to figure out what to do next. And, um, and so what they do is they say, uh, listen, there were 12 of us, right? And, and, and Jesus chose 12 of us because of the 12 tribes of Israel, and that's a really important number. And so we want to make sure we fill the spot that, that Judas vacated, right? So Judas is the one disciple that betrayed Jesus, and as a whole other series we could do on, on, on just Judas. But um, 
he was the one who kind of get, get scapegoated by everybody else, and, and he's the one who betrayed Jesus, and so he got uh, kind of kicked out of the disciples, and it says that he, he ended up killing himself, um, which is sad and tragic. Um, he, he took his life. Um, and so the disciples, Peter kind of, as he steps into his, his, his impetuous kind of leadership role, says, we've got to fill this spot. So um, it's interesting that right off the bat, what the, what the disciples want to do, and they're still disciples at this point, because the difference between disciple and apostle is a disciple is a, is a learner, is a student, and apostle uh, is one who goes forward with that learning uh, and is, is sent out with that learning to be a messenger. So um, the disciples are gathered together trying to figure out what to do next, and they go to um, let's fill this spot, right? There were 12. We've got to make sure there's 12 again. And, uh, and the interesting um, uh, Latin phrase that, that kind of depicts what the church did from the very beginning, what these disciples did, that the church continues to do, that we as humans continue to do, and that is the uh, argumentum ad antiquitatum. The argumentum ad antiquitatum is the, uh, the argument from antiquity, the idea that we have to do this thing because that's the way it's always been done. And so one of the first things uh, that the disciples do is they say, all right, so let's narrow it down to two who have been with us from the beginning, two other folks that have been followers of Jesus. And they grab men, even though the beginning of the Acts, uh, the book of Acts talks about there were the disciples and, and women who were following Jesus as well. Mary, his mother, among others, uh, and his brothers and his family. Um, but they choose two men and, and they boil it down to uh, these, these two guys uh, because we've always had 12 disciples. They've always been 12 guys. And so it's uh, Barsabbas and Matthias, and maybe you've heard of these two before. Uh, they show up sometimes in stained glass windows, and you hear about these two. But they were the ones that the disciples said, we got to fill the spot that, that, um, that was vacated by, um, by Judas, and it's going to be Matthias or Barsabbas, and then they cast lots. They literally <laughs> throw um, bones or, or something, and uh, like throwing dice, and it, and it lands on Matthias. And so they make him the 12th disciple. Um, the interesting thing about this is that we learn later in the Acts of the Apostle is that um, it could be that, that Christ was thinking along the same lines, uh, the spirit of the resurrected Christ. But rather than you know, uh, trying to reach out to the folks that, that they, would have, they would have known or filling it with someone who was just like them, um, we find that the spirit of the resurrected Christ was out chasing down uh, Saul of Tarsus, and uh, and the resurrected Christ was calling a someone who hadn't been with the disciples from the beginning, someone who was a Roman citizen, uh, who was fluent in Greek, well trained in the Jewish law, this Saul of Tarsus who had studied to be a Pharisee of Pharisees, and we will learn about him more in this book of Acts. Jesus was calling him uh, to be his apostle, and it's uh, so it's interesting to see how from the very beginning. We as the church, or those of us who have been kind of a part of the system, want to just replicate the system. When we go back to trying to figure out how things have been done, and we, we follow the old rules, and we cast the lots, and we make these decisions, and we vote, and we move forward, and, which is understandable, and there's nothing really wrong with that. It's just that we've always got to leave room for the work of the Holy Spirit. We've got to always leave room that the resurrected Christ is doing something, and we might need to let go of our best laid plans and allow for... Uh, Jesus to call, to empower someone to be a leader, a spokesperson from uh, a realm that we never would anticipate, right? Uh, 
a marginalized person or someone who we think is our enemy or, or whatever. Um, so we just, there's a level of humility from the very beginning that I love in Acts. The apostles are, or the disciples are trying to fill this position and Jesus is already filling it. Um, Acts chapter 2 is probably the, um, the most um, famous of all of the Acts, uh, the chapters of Acts. And that is when the spirit of the resurrected Christ falls upon these disciples. So they're doing all this work and casting lots and trying to get their 12 together and they're, and they're trying to figure out what they should do and, and the work that they should be about. And as they're gathered together in, in Jerusalem during a, a festival that's happening, and so there's people from all over the known world that are in Jerusalem at that time for this, for this festival that's happening. The spirit of the resurrected Christ falls on the disciples and they begin to speak in tongues and, and a violent wind it says sweeps through the place where they were and and people felt uh you know understood um that the that the believers and not just the disciples but all the believers over a hundred of them that were that were gathered those who were followers of jesus were speaking in the languages that the people who were from all over the world could understand and so there's this speaking in tongues there's there's fire on people's heads there's violent wind blowing it's chaotic and in the midst of all this, as people are saying, what's going on? And people are saying, hey, they're drunk and this is, this is craziness. Um, Peter stands up and, uh, and he becomes kind of the first Jewish Christian street preacher. And he says, uh, these folks aren't drunk. Don't, don't, uh, don't um, disregard them. Uh, this isn't crazy speak. This, this is the Spirit of God doing a new thing. And he begins to quote from the prophet Joel and and uh, and says God is uh, the spirit of God is falling in new ways and and uh, the old structures are are falling apart in the ways that we used to do things and the ways we used to understand uh, religion and, and faith and, and society are are shifting and uh, and Peter gives a an impassioned speech and uh, and people um, come and say uh, what so what should we do um, how, how do we respond to this and uh, and Peter and the disciples all say we have to repent. We have to repent and we have to quit doing things the way we've done it. We've got to turn around. We've got to do, do things differently and allow for the resurrected Christ to, to forgive us and to heal us and to empower us. And so Acts chapter 2 is, is Pentecost, what we call the birth of the church, because the spirit of the resurrected Christ fills everybody and, uh, and is liberated from just the first century Palestinian Jew that Jesus was. All of a sudden, that spirit of God is upon everybody, and uh, and and uh, it it it's confusing, it's terrifying. Um, the the interesting um, uh, thing about the the church, the the word that we use for church, and the birth of the church here in Acts chapter two is ecclesia. Ecclesia is the Greek word for church, and and we often when we think of church, we think of a place where right, a place where we gather together and we sing songs or we pray and we do things and and wonderful memories and thoughts associated with with that. The word ecclesia actually means uh, those who are called out. So those who are both kind of called out of um, the world to be used by God in special ways, but also called out to go out into the world, not to gather together and just to uh, kind of be in a holy huddle. But Jesus says from the very beginning when he speaks to, to his disciples, you know, you, you're supposed to be my witnesses in the world, not just in Jerusalem, not just in Judea, not just in Samaria, but to Rome and to the ends of the world. And so the church has always been from the very beginning a people who are called out by Christ, filled with the spirit of the living Christ and sent out into the world to embody the healing, the justice, the peace, the forgiveness, the truth of Christ 
um, powerful, powerful. We are, we are called to be little Christ. We're the ones who get to move this whole movement forward of, uh, of the beloved community, God's kingdom. Um, so that's, uh, that's Acts chapter 2. And what I would like to do is just kind of roll through a few of the, I think, the key, well, these are, it's, it's my opinion, but the key chapters um, about and, and what, what happens in, in Acts uh, and, and how it is that the church is called out. So, right, we, we go from the disciples of Jesus who were uh, studying from him as, as, their, um, as their rabbi to them being empowered by the Spirit of God and becoming apostles and going out. And sharing the good news, and they go out in all different directions. And one of the reasons they have to go out is because the the Jewish Christians there in Jerusalem begin to be persecuted. Um, Saul is one of the people that's persecuting them. He's a Pharisee, religious person who doesn't like kind of what they're doing. And the one of the one of the stories that's told in Acts chapter eight is uh, is the story of of Philip. And Philip uh, gets sent by the Spirit of God south. Uh, and he is uh, ends up on, on the road to Ethiopia. We think it could be in Egypt somewhere in, in Africa, but basically like the Spirit of God transports him and he is walking along a path and it's a fantastic story about this, uh, this Ethiopian uh, uh, royalty who had been in uh, Jerusalem. He was a, uh, a follower uh, of God. He was a, 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 a whether he was Jewish or he was a, a proselyte, which means someone who became a Jew. Um, but either way, he was in Jerusalem worshiping. He's on his way back to, to Egypt, and he is a, he's a eunuch. And so he's someone who has, uh, has been fixed so that he can serve uh, the queen. And so he is um, on his way back to Ethiopia, and Philip all of a sudden shows up there aside his carriage, aside his chariot, and starts, um, and God says, just run along, Spirit of God says, just run alongside that chariot. And so he does, and he ends up having this conversation with this uh, Ethiopian um, royalty, this uh, man who's a part of the royal court of, of the queen, and, uh, and he realizes he's reading the Old Testament, he's reading Hebrew scripture, and Philip starts to talk with him about it, and, and they start to have this conversation together, and, and, uh, and Philip says, you know who the, the prophet is talking about here in the Old Testament is talking about Jesus, and, and Jesus is, and he kind of tells the whole story to this Ethiopian um, eunuch uh, who Jesus was, and the Ethiopian eunuch stops the chariot and says, well, why shouldn't I just be baptized? And so Philip's like, uh, good question. And they go down to some water, and this, uh, this Ethiopian uh, eunuch becomes uh, a follower of Christ, is baptized, and becomes a Jewish Christian, a follower of Christ at that, at that point. So once again, the, 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 the limits, the understandings of who is in and who is out, who worships and where you worship, right? Where church happens, all in the book of Acts gets blown out of the water, um, You've got an Ethiopian, a eunuch, someone who, who's, uh, according to Old, Old Testament kind of law, because um, his genitalia had been um, cut um, and altered, uh, he was actually not allowed to be in the Holy of Holies, was not allowed to be in the, the, um, the temple because he wasn't pure. Um, uh, and so we see that the Spirit of Christ speaking through Philip is breaking down those barriers, breaking down... Um, the language barriers and, and, and Pentecost breaking down the, uh, the ethnic barriers and, and, um, and calling new people into leadership and, and saying that, hey, you don't have to be at the church to be baptized. You can get baptized in a pond at the side of the road if the Spirit of God is at work.
So great story. I love that story. Uh, Acts, Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian. And then in Acts chapter 9, we get introduced more specifically to, actually in Acts chapter 8, but then in Acts chapter 9, is, uh, is Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who was studying to be a Pharisee in Jerusalem. Tarsus is a town north of, uh, north of Jerusalem, up in what would be today uh, Turkey. And he is, um, he's on his way to persecute some, some Christian, some followers of Jesus. Uh, and, uh, and on his way to Damascus, he, he, he meets the resurrected Christ. Christ shines on him and says, why are you persecuting me? Saul is converted. He says, I'm sorry. And he begins uh, to then proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And his name is transformed from Saul to Paul. That happens in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 10 is another one of these uh, wonderful, I think, foundational chapters in the Bible. And uh, in Acts chapter 10 is uh, really a transformation that takes place in in Peter. Now, Peter from this time has been kind of the leader of the church, the church in in Jerusalem. That's where it had been founded out of. That's where their headquarters was. Um, And James, Jesus' brother, like we believe, is is, uh, his literal biological brother. James and Peter were kind of the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And Peter the main spokesperson, and Peter gets a, a message from uh, uh, someone saying, hey, listen, there's a uh, Cornelius who is a, uh, a Roman soldier, a, a centurion who is a, a worshiper um, and, uh, and and wants to, you know, probably again another proselyte, but but is, is following uh, Christ and, and this Christian movement. Um, he, he wants you to come to his house. Uh, and so Peter begins to go and realizes, I don't know if I can go into this man's house because I'm a good Jew and I don't want to break, you know, kosher laws and I don't want to go into the house of someone who is unclean. And it's in the midst of kind of his uh, internal conversation that Peter is having about what, how does this work? Like, is, 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 can I go into the house of this Roman Gentile and, and, uh, and, and, and pro- provide uh, healing and services and, and, uh, and dine with him and all that's uh, involved in that. Is, is that wrong? Is that improper? Is that not being a good, good religious follower of Christ, a good Jewish Christian? And, um, and as he is contemplating this, um, Peter is visited by a vision as he is uh, sleeping on the roof of the, of the house where he is staying. And the rooftop was often where you would sleep at night because it was cooler. And God sends him this vision of this sheet that gets lowered down from heaven a few times, and it's got all these amazing animals in in this sheet. And God says, "You can you can uh, you can eat these." And uh, and Peter says, "No, no, no, because they're they're not uh, they're not kosher animals." Peter says, "No, I would never do that. Um, God, uh, you know, take this away from me." God shows him, brings down this sheet again, filled with these animals, and Peter um, says, "No, no, no, you know, I, I wouldn't do that. I'm a good religious person." And finally, um, God says, uh, "Don't call anything that I have made." impure or not good. Don't call anything that I have made, anything in creation that I have made, don't, don't put down those, um, those rigorous uh, demarcations as to what is pure and what is impure, what is good and what is not good. God says, I've made it. It's good. And, and basically, I've made this centurion. I, I, am, I am calling you. you. You go into that house, kind of let go of your uh, of your binary who's in, who's out understanding of, of the church and, and how Christ works. And, uh, and Peter says, okay. And so he does. And he goes into um, Cornelius' house. And, and again, we start to see the walls of uh, a limitation of who is in and who is out and where the gospel can spread and who's, who's involved and who's invited in continues to expand. So I love that. I love those chapters 8, 9, and 10. And then, um, and then we get introduced here to, um, as Peter is making his shift, Paul is stepping forward as the apostle of the resurrected Christ. 
And, and in Acts, um, the writer of Acts begins to shift their focus then from Jerusalem and Peter to Paul and the, the Apostle Paul who um, begins uh, traipsing across the known world to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And here we have, an, uh, you know, you, you, those of you who are looking at the video, we've got an image of the, and you can find this anywhere, but the different missionary journeys of Paul. Paul's first missionary journey was kind of up and through um, an area of the globe that he knew fairly well, where he kind of lived, and then his second journey, and then his third journey, and then his fourth journey, he ends up in Rome, and it is in, uh, it is in Rome that he, uh, where his life and his ministry ends. And, and the book of Acts then takes us through Paul's whole ministry. Interesting thing about Paul's ministry, again, is um, as he goes through, he's basically meeting people and, and starting these or recognizing these little house churches that have formed in different people's houses and different locations throughout um, Asia Minor and, and what would be Greece and Macedonia and such today. He is in western Turkey at one point, and, uh, and he hears, um, uh, has a dream, it says, Paul, come to Macedonia, come to what we would call today into Europe. And so Paul feels called to go into, uh, cross, the, cross the Aegean Sea there and, uh, and goes to um, Philippi. So the, the gospel lands in Europe. It was, it was very much a Middle Eastern Asian uh, understanding of God and faith up until that point. And, uh, and, the, and the great thing about, um, about Paul's journey into, into Europe is the first convert, the first person he meets is a woman named Lydia. Uh, he meets uh, this woman and some other women that are, uh, are cleaning clothes by the river and he goes to talk to them and they are smart and influential and they have kind of a small group gathering and, and Lydia is introduced to us as a woman who probably had some, some means, a businesswoman. And, uh, and so the, the church is, is uh, the Church of Christ is, is, uh, is kind of born in, in Europe um, through, through Lydia. Again, uh, God, the Spirit of God, empowering people who before had perhaps been marginalized or seen as outside to be the new faces, the new voices, the new embodiment of, of the good news of God's love and reconciliation for the world. So um, in, in uh, Acts chapter 17, this, this might be one of my uh, favorite chapters in the Bible. Uh, I, I know I've said that a couple of times. I, as I said, was, was a history major. And in Acts uh, chapter 17, Paul, in this journey, missionary journey, makes it to, um, makes it to the, uh, to the, 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 what would be the Athens, uh, the, the kind of the, the capital of that area of the, of that, the, the Peloponnesus. And, um, and Paul uh, finds his way in, in Athens uh, to a place where these Stoic philosophers um, are gathered, other philosophers are gathered, and they, and they gather together in this place called the Areopagus, or Mars Hill, as a place where uh, these very learned um, Athenians would gather to debate. And Paul makes his way there, and, uh, and he begins inter having an interaction with some of these philosophers. And they say, why don't you come and speak to us? And so I'm just going to read here from Acts chapter 17. It says, Paul stood up in the middle of the council at the Areopagus or on Mars Hill. And he said, people of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way. I was walking through town, carefully observing your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What you worship is unknown. I now proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth. See the expansive nature of, of, uh, of God that Paul is, is sharing with his Athenian uh, brothers and sisters here. 
Um, the Lord of heaven and earth doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands as though he needed something since he, is, he alone is the one who gives birth, gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live on the whole earth. He's speaking there of Adam, Adam and Eve, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. God made the nations so that they would seek him, perhaps even reach out and find him. In fact, God isn't very far away from any one of us. In God, we live and we move and we exist, or we live and we move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are God's offspring. So here's Paul in the middle of uh, kind of the philosophical capital of the, of the Western world, and he is uh, kind of having at it with these philosophers and sharing with them, but in a way that he is building bridges. He's saying, listen, I see this thing that you have here already in your culture. I want to I name that. I want to uh, I build a bridge and understand what God's already doing here and what God's actually already doing in your minds and your hearts and, and help you to understand that, that God is bigger and more gracious and beautiful. And, and in so doing, Paul even quotes uh, one of their poets. Uh, so I love it that even within our Holy Scripture, the Holy Word of God is contained the words of, uh, of secular Greek uh, philosopher poets. Um, so uh, the, this wonderful... Um, understanding of the gospel of God's love, of God's creation as being bigger and more inclusive than, than we could understand. Uh, and that it even, um, you know, uh, draws circles around and includes what God is doing in places like, uh, like Athens among these uh, philosophers like to sit around and just talk about things all day. Uh, so I love, I love, I love Acts, Acts chapter 17 for that reason. Um, I, I want to, not spend too much more time on Acts because we need to get more into Paul and that'll be the next episode in his writings. But before we do that, I wanted to just share. So Paul, um, throughout the the book of the rest of the book of Acts, it's it's the story of Paul's life and his um, travels. Eventually he gets, uh, he gets in a lot of trouble and gets thrown in jail a couple of times. He, um, he gets dragged before a court and, um, he appeals and he says, uh, in, in, back in Jerusalem, and he says, I am, uh, I'm a Roman citizen. I should be tried in Rome. And so they say, fine. And so they put him on a boat and they send him to Rome to be tried there. Uh, and down on the way, he's shipwrecked and he ends up surviving that and gets to Rome and begins to preach to the people there. And some of the Jewish believers there uh, who were followers of Christ um, hear him and listen to him and reject him. And Paul, it kind of the book ends with Paul saying, and so, you know, there was kind of this split and Paul went on and continued to preach and eventually was, was killed, we believe, in Rome. Um, and so Acts is a fantastic history and, and kind of the birth of the church and the expansive nature of the church out of Jerusalem, out of the confines of discipleship into apostleship, into the world and including everybody. And, um, and yet uh, there is, and there has been in Christian tradition, this this shift that we went from a Jewish understanding um, and kind of a Jew- Judeo-centric understanding of, of, uh, of our faith to rejecting that and moving into uh, to Christianity. Um, and uh, and that's, that's really not fair. That really is something that was read into the scriptures primarily through um, the lens of kind of the, the medieval, late medieval theologians, people like Martin Luther during, during the Reformation. And there was this desire to say that these these works, as, as Paul talks a lot in his, his, uh, his writings, that the works-based theology of, of the Jews, of the good, of the Pharisees, is just like the work, works-based 
um, theology of the Catholic Church. You got to do this and you got to do that and you got to do this to earn your way to heaven. And the reformers and Luther and others kind of rejected all of that and said that's not the way it is. It's we are saved by faith, by grace alone, by faith. Um, and and so the um, Luther and the and the other reformed um, theologians of the time kind of grabbed a hold of this binary, this dichotomy between works and faith, uh, and, and and what it means to be righteous. And really, um, sadly, turns into what becomes very anti-Catholic, and, and obviously a, a war. You know, and, and a lot of a lot of wars were fought between Catholics and Protestants, but also a lot of early Protestants were anti-Semitic and uh, and and called um, the Jewish people the you know the ones who, who killed Jesus, and and so this really unnecessary dichotomy. Whereas, um, if you um, if you kind of keep up with this stuff and scholarship in the last 20, 30 years, this, there's something called a new perspective on Paul and understanding that that, that reading of Paul and his theology really is um, kind of tainted, as we talked about in, the, in episode one, tainted by the lens and the culture of the people of that time, Luther and others, who read their dichotomy um, and their kind of theological desires into the text that Paul really was always a Jew and always understood Christianity to be a fulfillment of, of the, the salvific covenant community that was the Jewish community. And that it, it wasn't this break between the two. It was a continued kind of um, understanding, living into what God had in mind all along. And that the, that the rules that you follow and the laws, were, we'd gotten off track and, and we're just focusing on them. But really what they were were to be demarcations, understandings that we were different. The same way that kind of Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciples, people should know that you love one another. So loving one another doesn't become a, a law that you get really rigorous about, but it's something that says this is, this is a fruit, this is something that we should see in our lives and that other people can see that, that notes who we are and who we follow. And so um, as we move into the, the letters and the epistles of Paul, Oh, one thing to note just about Luke, and I hadn't known this until I was doing a little research, that, that Luke-Acts actually takes up over a quarter of the New Testament. We think of a lot of the New Testament, I used to, um, and as primarily being the writings of Paul. But through the Gospels and Luke-Acts um, and, and Revelation, it's, there's, there's a lot in the New Testament that isn't Paul, and Luke-Acts is the biggest chunk outside of Paul's letters um, in the, in the New Testament. So um, there we have it. We'll get into in our next episode... The, the writings of Paul, the letters that he wrote to the people in all those different towns and villages that he stopped in along the way and how those letters that he wrote to them began to get passed around um, and they became the earliest uh, New Testament scriptures. So that'll be fun. I will, uh, I'll see you for the next episode, the epistles of Paul. <laughs>